This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Welcome to Aaron Menke's Cabinet of Curiosities, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. Since the mid-20th century, Albert Einstein's name has become synonymous with genius. The German-born physicist created the theory of general relativity, which changed humanity's understanding of time and space. Einstein is considered to be one of the most influential thinkers of all time. He reached a level of celebrity that few scientists ever do. But as he got older, all Einstein really wanted was to be left alone. When discussing his last wishes with his family, he told them, and I quote, I want to be cremated so people won't come to worship my bones. Einstein's request suddenly became a very important issue in April of 1955. At 76 years old, he suffered an aneurysm and died in New Jersey's Princeton Hospital. His family wasn't there at the time, so the pathologist on duty, Dr. Thomas Harvey, went forward with the hospital's normal protocol for autopsy in the remains. But this was not your average autopsy. This was Albert Einstein. Starstruck and apparently not thinking straight, Dr. Harvey did something unimaginable. Rather than focus on Einstein's arteries, you know, the actual cause of his death, Dr. Harvey cut open the Nobel Prize-winning scientist's skull and took his brain. Apparently not satisfied with the gray matter, he also cut out Einstein's eyeballs. Dr. Harvey later claimed that all of this was for purely scientific purposes. But that explanation didn't really add up with his behavior. You see, he sent Einstein's eyes off to the late physicist eye doctor, Henry Abrams, who reportedly just kept them. As for the brain, Harvey stored it in a jar and refused to give it back to the hospital. Dr. Harvey, once a respected pathologist, had become a body snatcher. Einstein's relatives didn't learn about his missing organs until two days later, when the rest of his body had been cremated. His son, Hans, was furious, of course. This was a total violation of his father's wishes. But somehow, Dr. Harvey got in touch with Hans and explained that he wanted to study Einstein's brain in the name of science. Seeing as the pathologist already had the brain and wasn't going to part with it willingly, Hans gave his reluctant blessing. With that, Dr. Harvey took Einstein's gray matter to the University of Philadelphia. He and other neuropathologists cut it into hundreds of block-shaped pieces, plus thousands of ultra-thin cross-sections. They were then sent to experts all over the country for study. Over the following years, information about the great physicist's mind was published. One study said that he might have had more glial cells than the average person. Glial cells, by the way, connect and support neurons. So, put simply, an excess amount might have made Einstein smarter. But that's not proven, and a lot of experts think this study should have been deemed inconclusive. 
Another study claimed that the part of Einstein's brain responsible for visual thinking was wider than normal. Yet another posited that Einstein had an extra ridge in his midfrontal lobe, which might have given him a better-than-average memory. But Anna Doughty, a forensic anthropologist, points out the flaws in any modern postmortem brain study. According to her, and I quote, There's a night and day difference between a living brain and a dead brain. A living brain has infinite amounts of things you can study and learn. It is pretty finite in what you can learn from a dead brain. Ultimately, studying Einstein's brain in this way is kind of futile. The idea that his genius can somehow be reduced to glial cells and extra ridges ignores the stuff that can't be quantified, like his childhood experiences, his capacity for creativity, his work ethic, and countless other factors. Even neurologists agree that intelligence is not simply a matter of physiology. So, the roots of brilliance remain something of a mystery. But that doesn't mean that people aren't fascinated by the idea of actually seeing the mind of a genius. These days, the majority of Einstein's brain is stored and displayed at Philadelphia's Mütter Museum of Pathology. It's one of their main attractions, actually, which Einstein, who explicitly asked people not to flock to his dead body, probably would have hated. And as for Dr. Thomas Harvey, that decision to steal Einstein's brain pretty much ruined his career. He was fired from his job at Princeton Hospital. His wife divorced him. He lost his medical license. Years later, it came out that he was still hiding pieces of Einstein's brain in his own house, which sounds horrible, and it is. But the eyeballs are an even creepier story. As far as anyone knows, they're still in the hands of Einstein's old eye doctor. Rumor has it that they're stored in a safe deposit box somewhere in New York or New Jersey. And that's an image I just can't get out of my head. Albert Einstein's eyes, staring at the dark walls of a metal box. For all of eternity. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. This episode is sponsored by Intuit. Here's a story for you. Once upon a time, a young woman was haunted by the ghosts of bad financial decisions, with credit card debt and an empty savings account looming over her every day. But when she tried to ignore these ghosts, they only grew bigger and scarier. And these ghosts of her bad financial decisions were stopping her from living her best life. So she decided to face them head on and take control of her finances with help from Intuit. Intuit helps you face your financial fears with confidence through products like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. Can I be honest for a second? I don't like needles. The doctor's office makes me nervous. The idea of undergoing major surgery, especially something like brain surgery, absolutely terrifies me. 
I know a lot of my fear is unfounded, of course. After all, neuroscience has advanced by leaps and bounds over the last century alone. Much of that is thanks to one man, too, Dr. Harvey Cushing, also known as the father of neurosurgery. The first person to ever successfully remove a brain tumor, Dr. Cushing was a brilliant artist, researcher, and scientist, not to mention an avid collector of human organs. But we'll get to that part in a minute. Dr. Cushing's greatest contribution to medicine may have been his use of the Bovi technique. You see, prior to the 1920s, one of the biggest obstacles in neurosurgery, or any type of surgery for that matter, was bleeding. The minute a doctor made an incision, blood loss became a significant concern. Although tourniquets and rudimentary cauterization techniques did exist, they weren't always foolproof. That's why in 1920, William T. Bovi created the aptly named Bovi Tool. It was essentially a pen with a superheated electrical tip. It could create an incision while simultaneously cauterizing the wound. Dr. Cushing was the first person to use the Bovi tool during brain surgery back in 1926, and almost immediately, it brought survival rates up from about 20% to over 90%. Before Dr. Cushing, having your skull cracked open was almost a guaranteed death sentence. And while I won't argue that neurosurgery isn't scary, Dr. Cushing made it a lot less dangerous. On top of this, he was a tireless researcher and record keeper. He saw thousands of patients throughout his lifetime, many of whom had neurological disorders that had never been named or even studied before. Dr. Cushing kept detailed notes and also took photos of his patients before and after surgery to document their symptoms. And if the patient was suffering from something that Dr. Cushing believed would prove terminal, he often got their permission to study their brain after they died. And this is how Dr. Harvey ended up with a collection of over 500 preserved human brains. Remember, genius rarely comes without a side of madness. Stored in glass jars and displayed in his office, Dr. Cushing was the proud owner of women's brains, men's brains, children's brains. There were brains racked with tumors and others afflicted by mysterious unnamed diseases. He even had a few skeletons, which belonged to people who'd lived with various neurological conditions. When Dr. Cushing died in 1939, his family was faced with a question that few of us will ever have to ask. What do we do with this giant collection of brains and bones? And ultimately, they decided to donate them all to Yale University, where Dr. Cushing had received his undergraduate degree. For the next few decades, this collection helped up-and-coming neurosurgeons learn and expand upon Dr. Cushing's work. But as the field of neuroscience advanced, the specimens became less and less useful. In 1979, Dr. Cushing's entire collection was relegated to a basement beneath one of Yale's medical school dorms, where it would remain untouched for nearly 20 years. Then, in the 1990s, some medical students discovered the locked basement door. It wasn't too hard to break in using a screwdriver. And when they walked into the dark room, they were struck with the scent of formaldehyde. And then, they saw hundreds of brains floating in glass jars, all stacked on dusty shelves. Sneaking into this room became a sort of rite of passage for Yale medical students. Being among the brains was equal parts disturbing and inspiring, somehow magical and perverse at the same time. It was, as one student put it later, and I quote, like a shop of horrors. The overwhelming atmosphere was that you're in a place that maybe you shouldn't be in. Which, yeah, they did literally break in, so they were not supposed to be there. But as Yale administrators realized the hidden nature of the collection only added to its allure, they started thinking about bringing Dr. Cushing's brains back into the light. In 2010, they moved the collection into a different basement, below one of Yale's libraries. 
These days, the room is known as the Cushing Center, and it's a museum where the late doctor's curious collection is displayed for all the public to see. Oh, and there's one more interesting item in the collection. Dr. Harvey Cushing just so happened to be friends with Ivan Pavlov, you know, the guy that came up with the famous Pavlov's dog experiment. One day, while the two scientists were hanging out, Dr. Cushing showed Pavlov the Bovi tool, the electrical cauterizing pen that I talked about earlier. Pavlov used the tool to write his name on a piece of steak. Ever the collector, Dr. Cushing took that steak and stuck it inside a jar with some formaldehyde. And so Pavlov's preserved signature is still on the meat, which is now housed in Yale's Cushing collection. So if you're ever in the area, stop by to take a look at what might just be the world's most curious cutlet. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Thank you.